We're glad you came today. There's a lot of churches uh, you could go to, and some of you probably, maybe this is your first time here. Welcome to Grace. And some of you came alone. That's hard to do sometimes, and we're grateful that we have a college group with us, and singles, and single agains, and married, and grandparents, and uh, newborns. I held a newborn this morning. Uh, you will find Grace Community is a church that loves people and loves Jesus. Uh, we're not perfect. It starts with me. If you're looking for a perfect pastor, you might as well check out now. Um, only by the grace of God that I can stand here today. Uh, today, we continue this series looking at God's grace. His grace qualifies us so that we can serve him, so that we can be on mission. And so when the mission comes for us to seek and save lost people, we're his hope. We're the ones that God wants us to share the good news with. It's not just your neighbor or your wife or husband or son or daughter or friend or uncle or aunt or grandparents. It's you. It's me. We're the reason that Jesus went to the cross for. It's for us that he came, and then we're supposed to share the good news of Jesus. Grace is what qualifies us to do that. It's not because of our good marriage, not because of our good deeds, not because we're smart or intelligent or or whatever list you want to add, add to that list. It's all by God's grace. But while we're here, we're supposed to be on a short-term missions trip. That's why we're here. And so when I hear stories of people going on mission, I get excited about that. And then when I see how God works something out to bring someone to Christ, it, it fires up my faith. This past week in, in our Fight Club chapter, I don't always share challenges that we do, but one of our challenges this week for the men that were part of that was to share their faith. And part of that process was for them to go on an adventure. At our kickoff, we had men bring boxes of candy and place in some 55-gallon drums. So four to 500 men gathering, you get a lot of candy in a box and in a, a container. And so this week, the challenge was this candy was placed in some chests that was on a dock that was floating in Bonner Lake down by the lodge. In the middle of this dock was a cross that was constructed. And so men would come and grab one of the kayaks that are down at the lodge, or a canoe, and they would paddle out to this dock. And we asked as they go out to this dock, as they enter it, they would get on this dock, and they would pray, Lord, break my heart for this community, break my heart for lost people. It's an amazing thing what can happen when you seriously seek the Lord. And so many men, it was a great quiet time together with the Lord. Someone on this journey with someone else. And so all through the week, men were making their way out to this dock that was floating in Bonner Lake down by the lodge, asking the Lord to break their heart for lost people and spend time with them. Additionally to that, we asked them to take a box of candy that we collected at our kickoff and then take that box and ask the Spirit whom they should go to to encourage and hand off this gift and say, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. So all through the week, men have been doing that, have been sharing their faith, have been going to all kinds of places. Meanwhile, while we had that challenge in front of us, that encouragement for men to share their faith, God was working behind the scenes, drawing someone else to himself, as he always does. One of our men, John Corbin, who obviously attends here as one of our elders, was working his way out to the dock one day in this kayak. And as he gets out to the dock, he notices there are two young boys that are there at the dock too who weren't in fight club. And so he asked them, what are you doing? And they said, we're grabbing candy that's in the box. 
Now, wouldn't you, if you were a teenage boy? You see, all week long, they lived along the shorelines of Bonner Lake, and they were scoping men all week long, grabbing candy. They thought, it's up for grabs. So they worked their way to the boxes to grab the candy, too. And John went on to share with them why we were meeting and why that candy was there. And so it was a light bulb moment for them that the candy wasn't for them. And as they paddled away, John realized that the Spirit of God was calling him to go farther into the water and to take a step farther. And maybe the very people he was to share with were these two boys. And so John paddled out to the middle of this lake, catching up with these two young guys in kayaks and asked them if they knew who Jesus was. Explained to them why they were doing what he was doing and explained to them that Jesus is the way. You'll have to talk to him about this story. But God did something that we weren't quite prepared for because we thought it meant to go out. So in the middle of Bonner Lake... John is sharing the gospel with these two boys. And before he knew it, both young men had bowed their heads. One trusted in Jesus Christ for the very first time, and another rededicated his life to Jesus. Yeah, we praise God for that. I love how our God just wants us to be willing. I also love how we had this intention. And meanwhile, some mama, some grandparent, Some dad, some sibling, some uncle had been praying for these two young boys from Syracuse that somewhere in some place they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and God orchestrated the details of a simple assignment to make it all happen. Now think about 30 years from now and these guys are sharing somewhere. So how did you come to Christ? (laughs) Well, there was this dock that was floating in the middle of Bonner Lake and yeah, it was full of candy. (laughs) Our God is concerned and cares about lost people. And he wants you and me to share the good news. And his grace qualifies us to do that. Grab your Bibles, and I'm going to show you a person who didn't think so, but his grace did so. And turn to John chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 31 to 38. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up, and our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. Turn to John chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 31 to 38. And would you stand with me as we read it out loud together? John chapter 13, verses 31 to 38. Let's read this together. Ready? Read. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. You may have a seat. 
Jesus had just predicted in front of the disciples, and he said to them this. He said, one of you will betray me. And as he's standing with the disciples and he's about to go to the cross, he looks across this group of men who had followed him, who have sat with him, who had fished with him, who had evangelized with him. And he looks at him, he says, one of you will deny me three times. Peter is going to be that man. And one of the things I love about this account is this. One of the things I I love about our Savior is he will often acknowledge our flaws, but his grace covers our flaws. Jesus had just finished a gut-wrenching conversation with his disciples and said, listen, one of you will fail me. Jesus knew Peter was going to fail him, and he could have cut him off, but he didn't. He just acknowledged that he was going to let him down. How many of you would respond the same way if you knew this information prior to hiring a new teammate, to walking with someone on a short-term missions trip? How many of you, if you knew this person was going to fail you purposely, if you knew they were going to, to not live up to the standards that you knew they needed to live up to, how many of you would enlist the teammate who would later lie about his connection to you? Imagine getting ready to leave and knowing Jesus knew that one of his disciples will not have his back. Let's acknowledge something here, please, from the beginning of this message. God is not surprised by our failures. Hear me on this. That's why we have grace. His grace is what sets us back up. His grace is the reset button in our lives. We know what a reset button does. I'm just thinking this week, we have a reset button on, on a hot tub we have on the back deck at our house. And it has a code that comes up when the water's not filtering correct, and it says 090. And so when that code first came up, I went to the manual, and it says, filter needs change, circulation not good, hit the reset button. So I walked through these stages, and I realized I hit the reset button, and the code came up, and it beeped again. So I realized maybe it's a filter. So I unscrewed the caps on the filters, and both of them were full of iron deposits. And as soon as I put a new filter in, hit the reset button, I was good to go. It made me think of this account, that Jesus has a reset button for us, and there are times that our sin clouds and clogs the filter of our lives. And sin will do that. And Jesus said, my grace will reset the filter in your life so that you can get back on level ground. He's not surprised by our failures at all. You see, some of us are harder on ourselves than Jesus is. Some of us demand perfection while he welcomes imperfection. Look at verse 37 and 38 again. Peter asks, Lord, why can't I follow you You now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Every time I hear a rooster crow, I should say the majority of time I hear a rooster crow, I often remind myself of this, how good God's grace is. And so when I hear a rooster, maybe you don't, maybe you get ticked, I think, oh, up before the grace of God, where would Peter be and where would we be? God's grace resets 
the button in our lives and allows us to get to level ground. Stop for a second, and I did again this week, and think about how often Jesus and God works through people who are imperfect. Think about all the people in the Bible. There is not one perfect person outside of Jesus Christ, and all these stories and encounters and narratives about how his grace came and helped someone get back on level ground and be used by him. Just think about a couple. And I I went through the Bible and just briefly listed a couple. Think about Samson, by the way. Most of you know the story of Samson. Think about him. He had to have the worst taste in women ever, in all seriousness. Now, you think about him. I mean, the Bible is full of imperfect people. He was codependent before that was even a psychology term. I mean, think about him and his love affair with Delilah. She tried to kill him on numerous occasions, and he kept coming back. What man in his right mind, after your girlfriend tries to kill you three times, says, but I love her. I'm going to keep coming back. But God chose to use him in a powerful way. And his grace at the end of his story, when he allowed him to put his hands before the pillars and the, the walls of the Colosseum killed the Philistines around him. Think about Abraham, who God said, I will bless you through the nations and generations to come, Abraham. He prostituted his own wife to a king so he wouldn't die. He told this king that it was his sister. Now, think about that. Why would God and how could God use for someone who blatantly lied about his own wife and said it was his sister? God's grace. Think about Moses. He was a murderer, and God chose him to lead his people out of Egypt. Seriously, resume. Pull up the resume. Okay, let's look through it. We're going to hire a teammate, and you're going you're to lead the church of Christ. Let's pull it up. Let's go through the resume. Moses, um, I killed a guy and hit him in the sand, and I'm really good at hiding people. Hire me. God used him. His grace hit the reset button in his life. How about Rahab, by the way? Often we forget this little terminology. It says she is a prostitute, not wasn't a prostitute in the walls of Jericho Falls. She is presently a prostitute, and God chose to use her to save Joshua's life. How about David, King David? I mean, think about all that he went through. Murderer, adulterer. In some way, we think, man, that guy, he was a manic depressive. One minute he was singing and playing his harp and saying, I will praise you in the sanctuary, God. And the next moment, my God, where are you? And God termed his name in scripture a man after his own heart. The Bible is loaded with beautiful psalms that he shared with us. God uses broken people and it's all because of his grace. Amen to that? How about Paul? Just open up your Bible. I mean, just think about it. 12 of 13 books in the New Testament. 12, maybe 13 of the 27 in the New Testament. You know who they're written by? They're written by Paul. And Paul, before he was Paul, was Saul. And his primary mission was to kill Christians. Imagine his name piling up in your resume list. And he's called himself this. I am the chief 
of sinners. So you go through the resume and you pull up. Tell me what you're good at. If you want me to be on your team, I'm really good at sinning. If you need someone to sin, sign me up. God's grace lifted him up and helped him write 12, maybe 13 books of the New Testament. Back to Peter. Jesus said, you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, oh, no way. I'll lay down my life for you. Listen, I'm Pete. Hey, I might be impetuous and I might be the first one in. Not me, Jesus. I will lay down. I will never deny you. We'll turn to John chapter 18. Is that true? John chapter 18 and look at verse 15. This is after Jesus was arrested. He's with the Sanhedrin or he's with, ready to go into Caiaphas. And then it says this in John chapter 18 and verse 15, it says this. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because he was arrested. And it says, because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait where? Where did he have to wait? Outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back outside the door, spoke to the servant girl on duty by the door, and brought Peter in. And the question was asked, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am what? Bam, denial. It was cold, it says, And the servant officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. Right away, he denies. Look at verse, there's one time, verse 19. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. And Jesus replied, if I said something wrong, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there doing what? What's it say? Warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? And the text says, he what it? What's it say? Denied it. Strike two. I am not, he said. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, Malchus, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter did what? What's it say? Denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Think about this for a second. Before he knew it, this was the same man, maybe six hours before this, six hours, maybe, maybe four hours was in the garden. They were coming to arrest Jesus. He says, you're not going to arrest my Savior. He pulls out his sword, and he's about to lash the head 
off of this servant, but he hits his ear instead. Malchus rips off his ear and they pull him away. Why? Because he was standing up for his savior. And he was saying, if you're taking Jesus, then take me too. I will defend him till I die. And yet six hours later, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. How did it get to this point so quickly? Let me add some thoughts to this. These are some observations as I read this text again this week. I think he was scared and tired, and he finally ran out of strength. Think about that day. First, he hears this heavy story from from Jesus that one of you are going to betray me, and I'm certain as every person sitting there, was thinking, it's not me, and starting to think about, boy, I wonder who it could be, and had spent his time racking his brain and burning up the, the energy of a brain, the thinking, going down all these paths, wondering who it is, and thinking, and all these endless roads that our minds go on, and then think about his day. Then that night, he goes to the garden, and they're trying to take his Savior, and emotionally, he, he just, he, he takes his sword and whacks off the ear. He's, he's emotionally fried. He's physically fried. He's at his weakest moment. And he, now he's following Jesus because he's arrested, staying behind, but wanting to keep an eye on him. And so they ask him, do you know, I don't know him. Do you know, I don't know him. Do you know him? He was scared. He was tired. And he ran out of strength. And by the way, I don't think he was a coward. He was ready to die that night, just hours before. He drew a sword to defend Jesus. No coward would do that. I actually believe if he was brought before the high priest that night in the garden, I believe this, that he would have said, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Didn't you see me take the sword? What else I got to do to prove it? Here's what I believe took place. He was talking when he should have been listening to Jesus at the Last Supper. How many of you are talking during a podcast or during a worship set? How many of you get distracted with your phones and get distracted with things that are happening when the word of the Lord is coming and you're talking and not listening? I believe he wasn't listening. I believe he was too confident in his own strength 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, oh, take heed. Or, so if you think you're going to stand firm, be very careful you don't fall. I believe he ignored the warning of Jesus because he thought, not me. I know who I am. I'm strong. Jesus, hey, I'll, I'll die for you. And so when Jesus said, one of you, Peter's like, can't be me. I got it all together. I believe he was unprepared when the attack came. He wasn't expecting it to come that way, nor did he ever think he would fall. One has said this, those are most safe who feel most weak. It's in our weakness that we're strong in Christ, not in our own strength. You see, here's what I believe when I look at this account. It was his courage that got him into trouble, not his faith. Do you hear me? It was his courage that got him into trouble, not his faith. He never lost faith 
and who Christ was, but it was his courage that got him into trouble. He was too cocky in his own strength. And before I discuss that, here's why I believe this. Now look at Luke's account. This is John's account, but turn to Luke chapter 22. Same account, different eyewitness. Turn to Luke chapter 22, talking about Jesus and talking about Peter denying him. Look at Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. Look at verse 31. Same account. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But Jesus, these are Jesus' words, verse 32. But I have what for you? What's it say? Simon, that your what may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, hear hear me out. That's why I think it was his courage. It wasn't his faith. If the God of the universe, who is perfect in every way, prays for us that our faith may not be weakened or fail, guess what? It won't happen. I believe it was his courage, not his faith, that caused him to fail. If Jesus prays, then we are good. He never lost his faith. He lost his courage. Courage and faith are two different things. But let me say this. This is a warning from this text. Be very careful where you think you are strong because the enemy will attack you there. When you know you have a weakness, that is the area you guard the hardest. Think about that for a second. When you know you have a weakness, what do you do? I need protection. Cover me. Help me. You get friendships. You get accountability. You stay away. You don't do. When you know you're prone to this, you have all kinds. I'm weak. I'm weak. I'm weak. But if you have a strength in your life, we often say things like this. I really don't struggle with that. You might struggle, but I don't struggle. Or that's not a problem for me. And then it's in those areas Peter was saying that. I don't struggle there. I won't fail you. God, I'll die for you. Jesus, listen, I'm Pete. Don't you know who I am? When we take an area for granted, watch out. Be very careful. Take heed lest you fall. What else do I know? God allows us to fall in order to strip away our self-confidence in ourselves. Never again, never again would Peter say, oh, not me, Jesus, not me. I'll never fail you. Never again would he say, he is stronger. You're not as strong as you think you are, and the enemy is tricky. Think about this. Failure is ultimately a gift from God because his grace steps in. We can fail forward. Some of us let our failures destroy us. And God's saying, no, just as in the case of Peter, when you fall, my grace will overcome. My mercies and my compassions are new every morning. Amen to that, anybody? His grace sets us back up. What else do I know from this account? Don't pretend to be something you are not. Never again would Peter presume to be better than his brother's. A proud man will drown in his sin. A humble man floats safely in the grace offered by God. 
You see, a proud man beats himself up when he sins. And he says things like, I shouldn't have done that. I don't deserve. A proud man rejects the grace of God. Why? Because he thinks he's better than that. Hear me out. The only reason any good comes from us, oh, but for the grace of God. A proud man thinks it's him. What else do I know from this account? His grace is greater than all our sin. Back to this account. Jesus is arrested. Peter denies him three times. He's inside the courtyard. John doesn't tell us where Jesus is at now. In fact, John's account gives a different eyewitness view, same account than what Luke's does. And when I was studying it this week, I saw something I haven't seen in the study of this count before. I want you to turn to Luke again. Look at Luke chapter 22 as he tells this story. I've often wondered where Jesus was at during this time when he denied him three times. I often wondered how Jesus heard about it. Luke chapter 22, and I want you to look at verse 60. Luke chapter 22 and verse 60. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. This is when he denied him the third time. The Lord turned, verse 61, and looked straight at who? Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept how? What's it say? Do you realize what took place here? We know he denied him. But here's the story. Jesus is inside of the courtyard. And at that very moment when the rooster crowed, they were bringing Jesus through the courtyard. And it says this, that he looked straight at Peter. He looked straight at Peter. He looked straight at Peter. And it doesn't say he spoke a word, but he knew when the rooster crowed that Peter had denied him, Jesus actually made eye contact with Peter in that moment. I had never seen that in the text before. Yet I believe the look was this. It was a convicting look, no doubt. You said you didn't know me. Do you know me now? Can you imagine this face of this bloody face, this bruised face of our Savior, looking at one of his closest disciples, and he looks at him, and Peter is saying, I don't know him. Don't you understand no? What part of no is it no? And Jesus, walking by, looks at him. It was a convicting look. I also believe this. It was a compassionate look. Now he looks at him, he says, Peter, now you know you're not as strong as you thought you were and you can do nothing without me. I also believe this. It was, I still love you, Peter. Listen, grace, grace. You could fail me 50 more times. Grace, grace. Better days are ahead, Peter. And by the way, Pete, I want to let you know, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, it says, Pete, even though you're right here right now, one day I will build a church on Petra, on Peter. 
And that's what he's saying to us today. His mercies and his compassions are new every morning. Peter remembered his words. Oh, this is a moment where we must remember some truths. This is a moment where some never recover. This is where many of you will spend the majority of your lives frozen in your failures, feeling unworthy and unusable by God. Listen to me, please. The cross is our hope. Quit rejecting the grace that comes from the cross. It was for you, and it's for me, and it's forever. Amen? Please, your pride is keeping you from rejecting God's grace. We don't need any more crucifixions. Once was enough. You see, we must remember we're, new, we're not too far gone to ever be used by God. And God specializes in using imperfect people. Here's what I know about grace. And this is what Jesus demonstrated here. Grace is looking at someone's past and not blinking an eye. It's not saying, whoa, never use them. Are you kidding me? You're coming here? No, it's, it's looking at someone's past and saying, hmm, come join me. Hey, let's go on this journey together. It's saying, forgetting what's behind and looking to what's ahead. Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, you have what it takes. God chose you to be on his team. That should mean something to you. Think about that. If you were choosing a team, and before the foundation of the world, it says this, that we, that Christ was crucified, crucified from the foundation of the world. And when he picked us, chose us, predestined us to be on his team, it happened before the foundation of the world. And Jesus saw every sin that you and I would ever, 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 ever do. And he still chose us to be teammates to share the gospel. Amen? We are his last hope. His plan is to use imperfect people to share the good news. We are sinners saved by grace. You see, God chooses to use imperfect people because, quite frankly, that's all he has. Some of you are just too hard on yourselves. And the reason you are, hear me out, you're prideful. And here's what happens when you're too hard on yourselves. You make a mistake and you're still dwelling on it. Some of you can go back to the date, the month, the time, the person, the place. Ten years ago. Five years ago. Some of you are still looking at something that happened last week. And you're reminded, boy, I failed God there. And God's saying, what are you talking about? I've already chosen not to remember that as far as the east is from the west. Why do you keep going back there? Some of you spend too much time focusing on what you haven't accomplished. Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I should be farther along by now. And you're dwelling. I'm a failure. I know I've been saved for 30 or 40 years. I should be farther along, and I should be doing this. I should be like them. They've been a Christian for this long. And you, you, you just, you're, you're, you're spending all your time instead of saying, put the boots on and let's go to work. Some of you, when you're hard on yourself, you often dismiss your own ideas because you think, 
Nothing good can come from me because of this. Some of you are still reeling from guilt from years ago. You're letting guilt and shame. You're letting the accuser beat you up instead of knowing that God's grace covers everything. Some of you compare your accomplishment or lack of to others. Think I should be further along. Some of you even reject compliments. God chooses to use you and you step out in faith and someone comes up to you and says, you know what, you did a great job today. We don't even know how to receive it. Here's how you receive it. It's called thank you. Some of you rarely splurge on yourselves because you think you're unworthy. So I can't enjoy this life. So you work, 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 work. And you work yourself to sleep. You wake up the next day. Work, 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 work. Proving your way. Work. I got I to gotta work, 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 work. And you don't even understand the discipline of play or rest because you say, oh, I can't play and I can't enjoy creation. And I can't enjoy rest because I need to work, 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 work. It's called grace. It's called enjoying God's creation. We don't have to earn our salvation. Jesus did that for us. Some of yourselves see yourselves as inadequate because of your sin. Hear me out. Your past or present is not so dark that Jesus is thinking about restructuring his salvation offer to you. It's a done deal. So what's he do to Peter? Does he leave him hanging? Does Peter walk away destroyed from that I can never serve him again? Jesus dies on the cross. He's resurrected. But then scripture gives us this beautiful picture of the follow-up. Look at John chapter 21. Turn over, please. Turn, turn, open your Bibles. Open your mobile device. Come on, follow along. John chapter 21. Look what it says in verse 15. When they had finished eating, this is after the resurrection, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, what did he say to him? Feed my what? Come on, come on, come on, come on, follow on, come on, come on, come on. John chapter 20 and 50, you got a Bible in here, come on. Let's go again. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, I want you to listen right now to me. Just, I want you to listen. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my what? Know what he's saying? I still believe in you. That's for strike one. Verse 16, Jesus again said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my what? He's saying, you have what it takes. Strike two's covered. Look at verse 17. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time. Do you love me, he said. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my what? I forgive you and have great plans for you. Strike one is covered. Strike two is covered. Strike three is covered. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Amen to that. He sets him back up. You see, Jesus loves us and doesn't plan on giving on up on us anytime soon. He loves us in our incompleteness, our incompetence, and our messiness. 
You need to hear this today. You need to hear this. Listen, this, this isn't time for you to talk. This isn't time for you to be distracted. Hear me out. Jesus is saying that some of you have let your passports expire because you think you're unworthy. Listen to me. Renew the passport. <laughs> to those who haven't been on a missions trip for a while, because we think we failed miserably, Jesus is saying, listen, you're the plan that I have to reach this world. My grace is sufficient for you. And too much is at stake to live otherwise. This week, when that assignment came out that I felt inspired by God to give to our men, I always ask, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? And so as I'm thinking about this assignment, going out to float on this kayak to go out to this dock and grab some candy, I began asking the Lord. As I was running one night, Lord, where do you want me to go? Lord, who do you want me to give candy to? And so he made it clear, Jim, I want you to go to a Muslim or a Buddhist. I want you to get out of your comfort zone. Okay, Lord. So on my way to the office the next morning, I'm driving up County Road 19, bouncing along in my Jeep, hitting all the potholes and loving every bit of it. Praise the Lord. And so I pulled out my iPhone and I said this, Siri, show me the closest mosque or temple. And so she began searching and she showed me. Here they are. First one on the list, Grace Community Church. <laughs> I kid you not. Siri's a little twisted. She gets temple and church mixed up. And probably because of the proximity of County Road 19. So then I ask again, and I saw that the closest mosque was in the Topeka area. Topeka. And I knew that's where the Lord wanted me to go. So I came into the office, said, Lord, I'll go. I'll go. So instead of getting the chocolate, which was already going by now, and the candy that was already going by now from the dock, I decided I'd go and buy a new batch. And so I go into a convenience place, and I find some chocolate figure everyone likes chocolate. So I go up to the counter and I'm doing, taking care of this on my way to Topeka and I'm, I'm still in Goshen. think I got to go there because that's where I need to go. And I go up to the counter and I throw up my chocolate on the counter, look up and there stands a man in a turban. I kid you not. There's a Muslim standing in front of me. And that day I happened to have a shirt on that said, men following Christ. It's a men's ministry that they asked me to speak at one time. I'm not exaggerating. I haven't worn that shirt in over a year. But I went to a funeral viewing that day, and it was a button down, so I figured I'd go. It matched my gray slacks. So I'm standing at the counter ready to pay for this chocolate, and this guy on the other side says to me, are you a priest? Like, it's like God just teed it up. Like, Put the ball on top, Jim, just hit a drive 350 yards right down the middle. He asked me if I was a priest. And I said, yes, I am. There was no, no, no. That wasn't a moment explaining the difference between preach and preacher and priest. I'm a priest. And then he asked this, where are you a priest at? I said, Grace Community Church. And he asked, I said, can I tell you about the Grace? Oh, yeah, tell me. And I said, well, I go to this church and I'm the priest there and and we believe in Jesus Christ, and we believe he's the way, and we believe. 
that's the only way you get to Father God is through Jesus. And I said, he saved my life. And, and I was telling him about Jesus. And, and, and so I was sharing more, and I realized there's people coming behind me. So I threw the chocolate up there and paid for it. And then I stepped aside, and these other people came through. And then it hit me. I mean, sometimes I'm a little hard-headed. I mean, I still share a gospel. I thought, that's the one I'm supposed to give the chocolate to. Not Topeka. So I came back in line. He's like, you back? <laughs> yeah. <I'm. laughs> I said, hey, I just bought this. And you know what? I like to give. No, 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 no. He says, no, no. That's my story. I said, it's yours. God wants me to give that to you. And then I said this. I said, it's not a coincidence that we met today. I said, can I tell you more about the Jesus I believe? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I shared the whole plan of salvation with this dear, dear man. And when I left there and walked outside, it hit me. God is just looking for us to be willing. It's like he was saying, Jim, I just want to show you, if you are willing, you don't have to go to Topeka. You can stay right here in Goshen. They need you here. And I wonder how willing you are and I am to share the gospel. Grace gives us permission to step back in the game. And if Peter can fall anyone can fall. And if Peter can come back, anyone can come back. It's time to get over your past and not let the enemy keep you in time out any longer. Oh God, help us today. So many of us think we're unworthy. We're not smart enough. We have too much sin. We didn't have a good father. We didn't have a good mother. We don't have a good family. We're divorced, we're remarried, we didn't finish high school, we committed adultery, we have an addiction, and yet your grace covers all of our imperfectness and our sins. And God, you want to use us. And when you went to the cross, you took all that there, and because of that, we can stand in your grace and continue to be on mission. Oh, God, break our hearts again for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.